How do you hijack a building? Sorry. How do you walk up to the door and you go, okay, mate, <laughs> put your windows up. And you know, it's so strange. All of the politicians make the following point, that it's all apartheid's fault. Obviously. And weirdly, in this particular case, it is... Mark, hello, good morning. Good morning to you, but what a horrible, horrible fire we had in Johannesburg, huh? Yeah, no, no, no. It's just I'm physically rattled by the stories of the people who were in the fire. You know, some of the stories of the people are starting to come out now. You know, people strapping their babies to their backs and jumping off the fifth floor story window. It's just incredible. Just incredible. And, you know, it's so strange. You know, all of the politicians make the following points. A, that it's all apartheid's fault. Obviously. And weirdly, in this particular case, it is... Because the building was the old Dompas building. There was the old Dompas building. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Just because the life cannot become too ironical. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The second thing that they say is that it's because of the NGOs, because the NGOs have been trying to stop the city council from evicting people from these buildings. And the third thing that they say is that it's not their fault. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's the part that sort of comes to me. Okay, two things. One, every speaker... You know, other than the president who expressed sympathy for those who were caught in the fire and those who were injured and died, every other speaker yes. had a list of other people to blame or, at worst, included themselves in a group of blamey. Okay? Yes. You know, and nobody talked about the structural building, the competency of the fire brigade. I mean, people say that bodies were burnt beyond recognition, and yet... You hear that the fire brigade was there within 10 minutes of the call. Those two facts are irreconcilable. But let's not go into the dirty details of it. The fact is, you know, we don't take responsibility for our actions. If we're politicians, we deflect them. And now, after the event, I see that the public works minister, Sikhle Tikalala, is going to be talking about a plan to recover hijacked buildings. I think that's happening tonight. <laughs> so we've got a plan now, yes, okay? Yes, yes, and uh, let alone a task force. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it took nearly 80 people's deaths uh, for that to happen. I, I just think that in every context, Joburg is starting to, you know, have multiple organ failure, if you like. Yeah, no, that's right. We need control or delete, and it starts with leadership and management and expertise. And Better do it pretty damn quick, Tim. I mean, why do we have to go to the point where we are reminded by the cost of human life yes. of errors that could have been avoided and expertise that is missing? I know, I know. It's awful. I mean, it's just interesting to note that... How do you hijack a building? Sorry, just to try and put a little... How do you walk up to the door and you go, okay, mate, <laughs> put your windows up. Okay. I mean, I don't know how you hijack a building. You just walk in and take it over, I suppose like you do land or anything else where you have this informal occupation, then we call it. Yeah, yeah. You're just progressively more thuggish than everybody else. Yeah. You just threaten people more more aggressively than everybody else. That's what people live through here. Yeah. And then you create your own little control structures and fiefdoms and, uh, and economics and, and starvation. Oh, man, we've got to stop this. 2024, come 2024. The other thing that I thought was interesting was that how much this has got press outside of South Africa. You won't believe it if you, oh, yeah, I've seen. like me, sort of monitor the foreign press a little bit. I do. I mean, it is front page news in the New York Times, in the Wall Street Journal, in the Financial Times. And rightly so. It's a real shocker. Well, you know, here's the issue. It's not only headline news because it's newsworthy. Those are the centers of our future sources of capital. We will not 
starve South Africa in its current financial context, if you read about where national treasury is, without a huge influx of foreign direct investment okay, and capital. And so the last people we want writing about what a fraught place this is becoming are the international press. No, man, we've got to wake up. We've got to tidy up. We've got to tidy up. One last quick point, and that is the way that this is cast is the end of the South African dream. This is a sort of symbol. Which one? Yeah. <laughs> okay, but let's move on to something more positive and encouraging. Oh, yeah. Transnet. Because <laughs> <laughs> Transnet presented its results this last week. We're going to take baby steps forward. Yeah, we? yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we're supposed to be giving numbers and stuff like that. So I have a whole bunch of numbers to give you on Transnet. Okay. That's my man. You go for it, Tim. I can't wait. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cable theft increased from, this is from their results, right? Cable theft increased from 120 kilometers stolen in 2017-18 to 1,506 kilometers in 2022. <laughs> no, I mean, no. what? I don't it is know. just what? incredible. There's also, this is a little bit more complex, but basically the problem with Transnet it's actually interesting reading their, their results because actually all of the divisions in Transnet outside of the freight rail are doing fine. Yeah. It's not as big a disaster as people think. The problem is that the freight rail division is by far their biggest. It's 50% of their revenue. And it's the most important. I mean, they're all important to South Africa, but they're very, it's very important to the mining industry, the freight rail department. Oh, that's the unmeasurable loss. Yeah. yeah. That is the real issue with freight, is that the alternative cost of road transport, the impact that that has on the conditions of our roads and on traffic and on safety and on all of those kinds of things, and on the blunt economics of getting things to ports, which is another discussion about, you know, competence and, you know, our exportability of our, our fine products. And so it's the consequential damage that is the absence of a central infrastructure like that causes, which is, is immeasurable. And the real issue is that it results in huge impacts on profitability, which ultimately lowers the tax collection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, which ultimately makes it less affordable to fix. And so you have this death spiral, which you have to start thinking about control or delete again. Yeah, no, that's right. It's such an enormous company. You know, you just don't realize how huge these state companies are. I mean, headcount, 50,000 people still work for Transit. I mean, it's just extraordinary. Anyway, so they collapsed into massive loss this year. It's sort of kind of inevitable, but it's sort of 11 billion turnaround. What do you think when you look at the issue as a business person, what, what would you do in this situation? First of all, I mean, I read an article which was written by the Minister Gordon in this week's Sunday Times, and it was in reference to the points made by the Auditor General. Right. Okay. Now, auditors, I'm the chair of an audit committee in a major firm. Auditors look at results. They don't create them. Right. Okay. Auditors take photographs. They don't make movies. Okay. And so you can't manage a company by a manual or by attending to a series of criticisms. You have to manage a company by being an aware pilot in real time, dealing with the circumstances which are constantly changing and managing and changing a direction, big or small, to remain a competitive force and a competent, sustainable organization. And that, you know, goes from capital to functionality to all of those things, to people, to all of those kinds of things. And so if it is that you're a pilot of an airplane, and as the clouds approach, you have to dig out a manual. You will not 
make it through the clouds. Okay, and that's what we're doing in a lot of places in SAEs in particular, where the resident expertise isn't. Okay, and the rule book is yes, yeah, yeah, and that cannot win. I have the same impression. I have this, uh, the impression that government is trying to run these things. They, you know, they're gradually sort of disintegrating. And then the response to that disintegration is an application of the rule book. Yeah. The list of things that Minister Gordon noted are a problem in translate. You know, they're just huge. They, they extend to absolutely every aspect of the organization. And, you know, I just wonder how it must feel like yeah. to be an employee of an organization like that when you're sort of working your ass off and the minister says that, you know, there's problems with the implementation and with this and that and the next thing. And it must be a very negative situation for staff members and also a negative situation for, for management. I mean, I'm not saying they should be positive about it, but I do think staff motivation is a component of all of this that government doesn't take into account of. No, but you can't also, I mean, Auditor Accounts and Auditor General come out after the event. You can't manage an organization in the rearview mirror. Yeah. The main purpose, it seems to me, of the way they report and the way they manage is to make sure they hang on to their jobs. Okay. So the risk profile drops dramatically, perhaps, but there's a much bigger risk in not doing anything sometimes than in taking a, an educated risk and getting something done. Okay. Yes. We need leadership and expertise. Not compliance. You know, compliance has a place, but it's a small place. It's a small and vital place, but it's a small place. Okay? And so we need people who are on the spot. I can remember in my previous life at the post office, I went down to the guy who was in charge of the depot. I said to him, what's wrong here? And he said, well, the trucks are too big. Now, if he'd been to Harvard, he would have said that we had a logistics optimization scheduling problem, but he had the exact <laughs> same answer, okay? And, and he was on the ground, he was saying, you know, the turnovers decreased, boss, from, by 30%. This was in 2015. And the trucks are still the same size. And, and, and so we talked the thing through and we changed the, you know, and that affected the unit cost of transport of a litter and blah, blah, blah. And so right. you need people who are competent to make decisions, who understand what they're doing, have the confidence and support and capital to get it done, not to comply with the rules to avoid being fired. There's That's not how you run a competitive organization. And the trouble is that the expertise to do that isn't all resident within government's chosen employees. Yes. And we need a partnership that starts that transformation. This is so clear now. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like it's becoming increasingly clear. I, mean, I don't know whether you saw there was a judgment yesterday about whether or not ANC was required to release the minutes of its cadre deployment. Uh, cadre deployment, yeah. me Meetings and the, and the, you know, it was very, it was interesting, very short judgment, but, you know, in five pages, the judges said, absolutely. There is still quite a lot of expertise in these organizations. Of course there is. You know, I do feel there is a sort of potential unleash possible in the kind of right circumstances, but sometimes it's very obvious when an organization is going the wrong direction. What you should have, you know, you should say, you should be able to say, this, this is my top management team, this is who they are, this is who they came from, all that sort of thing. Whereas now, the reluctance to disclose your cadre deployment strategy is because you're too scared to name and shame. Yes. Now, I, I guess, I mean, I don't know why. I mean, a major successful listed company would put its management on show and say, we got this guy, we managed to get him yes. from so-and-so. This lady used to run Goldman Sachs, she's now with, and your management team would be, is, and must be your proudest asset. Yes. Not something 
that you a bit scarm about. You know? <laughs> and so, yeah, that, yeah, but we're getting a bit scarm about a lot of things. I see that in Lady R, yes. our Russian vessel debacle. Yes. The president has now said that actually, if I, if I read it correctly, because you never know, that they were all floating weapons and things for us at Arms Corps that Arms Corps ordered, but, and I think I'm quoting him almost verbatim, if he were to tell us any more, there would be lives at risk going on. No, is it? That's like, you know, where have you been? I could tell you, but then I'd have to shoot you. We're in the yeah, world of spying yeah. back. I don't know. We need to know. We've got a right to know. This is a democracy, for goodness sake. I think it's very interesting that there's two sort of consequences that really just sort of jump out at you. One is the one that you pointed out. You know, why are they keeping the report? You know, can't they redact it? Yeah. But they did say they interviewed 50 different people and they were importing weapons, not exporting them. You see, I told you. Because <laughs> we've got big wars going on here. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. We need the damn weapons, Jeepers. Yeah, no, hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the other thing is, I mean, I do wonder what's going to happen to the American ambassador. If the American ambassador had his wish fulfilled, he wouldn't be alive anymore because he staked his life <laughs> on this thing. Yes, okay. yes, yes. So Ooh. let's, be, let's <laughs> be more genteel and just fire that. Okay. It must be really tough because they did invite him to provide information that he, you know, this information that he said that he would stake his life on. And they didn't provide any information. So to the judicial panel I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So obviously they didn't have it firsthand, you know what I mean? Or maybe they did have it firsthand, but they didn't want to reveal who gave the information to them. They were kind of protecting their sources. That's also possible. Yeah. Whatever the case, the judges found that we didn't export anything to Russia. And this puts him in a very difficult position, I would imagine. I think he does have to resign. And at the end of the day, we back to the standard response, which is, sorry, can't say. Yeah, Conte. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Conte, it's a matter of state security. Okay, now numbers. I've got a couple of numbers. Okay, hit us. Well, there's only one number that we have to talk about a lot, but I'm not going to talk. I'm just going to mention it. It's stage six. I know, I know. Because BRICS is over. So stage six yes, is back. Yes, have yes, a nice yes. day. We've run out of diesel again. <laughs> but my other number is there's this 85-year-old doctor, okay, so the number's 85. We did a fake death certificate right. to help some lady claim a death benefit from her then still living husband. Right. And his claim, which is that he's too old to go on trust. Well, I reckon if you're young enough to forge a certificate to make money, you're young enough to go on trial. But in our judicial system, if you go on trial for anything over the age of 60, it's very likely that the trial will still be going on long after you <laughs> yes, die yes, at the yes, age of 75. There's so no true. real risk at all. You know, take our beloved public protector, who I believe told the president, noch all, right. that she's going back to work on Tuesday. I know. Oh, come on, man. Wake up. So I also have a health number. Oh, yeah. So do you know this drug that will make fat people thin? Yes, I've heard of it. Which, by the way, I'm kind of interested in. <laughs> I've heard it's got wide-ranging side effects. No, very funny. Omni-something or other. Yeah, it's called Azimpic and the underlying ingredient, which is called Wigovi. But anyway, so, so it's made by this Danish company called Novo Nordisk. I hope I'm not pronouncing that. Novothin.com. Yeah. 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 And the interesting is the company is now on the verge of becoming Europe's biggest company. And it has a market value now larger than Denmark's GDP. 
How about well, that? Well, that points to the cause, eh? Yeah, <laughs> yes. You know, the obesity factor. Lots of fat people. Yeah, the, obes- <laughs> yeah, the obesity factor worldwide is completely out of control, eh? So they've got a target market that's difficult to miss. No, no, no. It's not as much of a laughing matter as we'd like it to perhaps make of it. Yeah, it's unfortunate that people make money out of others' troubles. I know, I know. But, well, it's not that unfortunate. I'm looking forward to my Govi. I'm going to be slim, trim. Start with a small bass. (laughs) Mark, thank you very much. Thank you. You've got places to go and and people to be. (laughs) Nice to chat, as always. See you next week. We'll see you next week. This show is part of the Africa Podcast Network. The biggest pod network network on the the continent. continent. For sales inquiries, please please contact contact us at info at africapodcastnetwork.com.